Hello, welcome back. This is Talk ADHD, episode 12. And as promised and as asked for multiple times, this is an episode that's really important because we are really digging into the connections between ADHD and what it means to be perimenopausal, going through the menopause and everything in between. And as ever on Talk ADHD, we like to talk to those who know, and that's certainly not me. Now, you'll notice Andrew can't be with us today. So I am joined by Diane Porterville-Bourne, who is a menopause nurse practitioner who runs private menopause services through her company, Born to Care. Diane, thank you so very much for joining us. It's fantastic of you to give up your time. Um, would you like to let people know anything about yourself before we begin? Um, I've been nursing a long time. I live in Worcestershire. I've been nursing for about 35 years now. Um, I've been a nurse practitioner for about 20 years. Um, and I run private menopause services predominantly online. And I write training um, about menopause as well and deliver it to the NHS as well as different organisations. Fantastic. So straight away, a wealth of experience and knowledge which is what we need and what, what our, our listeners are craving so uh, let's dig straight into this because not everyone is talking about these two topics in tandem menopause and ADHD so can you maybe share how you first started to connect menopause with the wider topic of neurodiversity and neurodivergent conditions and in in particular ADHD and autism you know within your professional practice Absolutely. It wouldn't be the two that you'd immediately be putting together, but it really stems from uh, my own personal um, experiences of family members being diagnosed with autism and ADHD. So maybe about three or four years ago, I had to do an awful lot of research and reading to get my head around how to support people and how to inform people of what the symptoms were, how to support family members and really to educate myself as well. So um, I started to learn an awful lot about neurodiversity. So I was doing consultations, supporting people with their menopausal symptoms. And I was realising that all these ladies that I was seeing that were complaining of lots of different issues to do with their menopause, not coping, not sleeping very well. But I think the one thing that triggered it was that people were saying that when they're going into work or when they're going out for the evening with their friends, they really don't want to go out. They're struggling with their emotional health and they're putting on this, and I say in inverted commas, this act, this pretense mm -hmm. to actually physically and look and act normal, that they're calm, cool, collected. They understand what <sighs> I can cope. I can deal with anything that throws at me, smile. Yeah. They're just not feeling it at all. And I thought I saw this over over again. And I thought, okay, that's fine. And then it suddenly dawned on me the one day, this one lady was saying that she sort of like has to put on this, this mask to show everybody at work that she's coping and that, you know, otherwise she'd be on like, you know, being on report and managers. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, hang on a minute. If this is how what we class as neurotypical women that without a neurodivergency are coping with mm -hmm. them, what are neurodiverse women doing? How are they coping? And for me... That was really a rather light bulb moment because it was like, well, wow, this is massive that these are women that are are normally coping with life, but are having to pretend to the world that they can cope 
with their menopausal symptoms when they clearly can't cope very well. So I thought, well, how are women with neurodiversity, such as autism and ADHD and dyslexia, dyslexia, how are they coping with their menopausal symptoms? How are they going into work? How are they coping in the workplace? How are they managing to function with society and home life? Um, and for me, it was a little bit of a, a revelation that I thought, wow, this is something that I need to focus on and to, to be aware so I can support women going through the menopause. Wow. So, yeah, you met, you mentioned that light bulb moment. And, and did you start to then join the dots, I suppose, between sort of the implications for treatment of menopause as well when, when women were neurodivergent? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I prescribe HRT probably most of the time. It's not what everybody wants or everybody needs, but HRT, I know, can make a significant difference. So as far as joining the dots are concerned, it was the fact that women that were on HRT coped a lot better with all of their menopausal symptoms. But mm. women, I was starting to see more and more women that had a diagnosis of neurodiversity, of autism and ADHD, um, and I was able to support them. So I was able to identify and say, you know, I'm going to give you a bit of extra support. I understand the importance of hormones and how they work in the brain. Um, I was speaking to different um, ADHD foundations, providing training for them. And we were working out that with the um, women that were diagnosed with having ADHD, we could adjust or they, they would adjust their ADHD medications if I was prescribing um, HRT to them. So the two right. were currently together. So estrogen was amazing for most women. Um, and then ADHD medications for some women, they were actually able to reduce their ADHD medications because they realised that they didn't need quite as much as they did because what they actually did need more than anything was estrogen. So popping them up with estrogen and then reassessing how much they actually needed of their ADHD medications. So you could see how the two would work very well together. Yeah, and it's interesting when we when we first sort of covered this topic and we had Sarah um, and Elaine on, we, we spoke about sort of the endocrine cycle and we spoke about the, the regular sort of female cycle and this period where estrogen drops anyway is challenging for for women um particularly in terms of dopamine creation and, and the amount of dopamine that's then available so it makes perfect sense yeah. that that you see those links it's fascinating though that in trying to sort this podcast out it still doesn't seem to be something that everyone who understands menopause is seeing the links between do you think there's a reason for that i think it's an overall lack of awareness about anything to do with neurodiversity everything in healthcare and because my eyes have been well and truly opened because of one understanding it myself and supporting family members that are experiencing it I can see through their eyes in a way that right. health systems aren't catering to support them to meet their needs you know health services are chaotic crazy um, you know, you can't get through to anybody, whether you want a face-to-face -face appointment with somebody, you want to speak to somebody on the phone, you want to send a text. It's that they're trying, but there's just the, the services aren't there to enable people with a divergency such as autism or ADHD to actually say, I feel comfortable and I feel 
more relaxed and I feel less stressed and I feel able to cope better in this particular environment in health services. There's a just a huge lack of awareness about the needs of people with neurodiversities. Um, and so this is where I come into it. And I've done some teaching with nurses fairly recently. And I was talking about neurodiversity in the menopause. And there were lots and lots and lots of very blank faces. And I was explaining the importance of like how many women are going into the surgery for like sleep disorders, mood disorders, um, you mm. know, really really low not coping you know have you considered that one they're menopausal and two could there be other underlying causes to their mental health um instead of just people being given labels of you know having mental health and anxiety it's getting to the root cause of why they have this um mm. You know, you know, I've explained to you before that there's there's some research that's saying there's about seventy five percent of women are undiagnosed ADHD, and when mm. I well, I'm fifty three <laughs> to think about it, then I'm fifty three. So when I was at school, there was no such thing as girls having you know any um, ADHD or autism. It was very very rare. It was ever discussed. It was yeah. just stereotypical naughty schoolboy in the classroom there was always one in the school or one in the classroom and this is I'm not saying this to upset people but that was just sort of the way it was portrayed but you didn't see girls Girl, girls didn't have something like that it wasn't ever discussed or uh, and there certainly wasn't anything that was ever done about it but of course it was there so all these girls that was never picked up at school or college um, suddenly, because menopause is a life transition, it's a change. Puberty is one, men, um, and and menopause is another. This complete life transformation. Suddenly, hormones have gone into overdrive. They're falling. They're fluctuating. So, where women would have been coping particularly okay because they developed their own coping strategies, suddenly everything literally just falls apart. You can't spin those plates anymore. Mm. and health professionals need to be aware that this is how the menopause will impact women with potential neurodiversity undiagnosed neurodiversity um and that's what we need to be looking at and focusing on yeah and it's interesting what i'm, I'm just reflecting on my own wife's experience and the experience of of women that i've spoken to in our in our whatsapp community and, and women i've supported so we often talk about uh, rejection sensitive dysphoria and emotional dysregulation as being very, very symptomatic of ADHD and, and also impacting autism as well. But I remember very early on years ago when, when my wife was questioning, is this menopause? What, what's going on? That phrase, it felt like the wheels had fallen off. We, we'd suddenly gone from sharp, you know, brilliant mental acuity, keeping everything together to suddenly nothing was working, nothing felt right. There was lots of emotions seemingly out of nowhere. But I wonder now through the women you're seeing, and you mentioned particularly the difference between undiagnosed and diagnosed, how many women struggle to take that to a GP and mm -hmm. to explain why their emotions may seem sort of exponentially more extreme than than perhaps other women that are saying i think it may be menopause do you think that you know you mentioned about the difficulty explaining this to other healthcare professionals 
Do you think that's presenting problems because of that lack of understanding? Yeah, it, it, it's got to. There's, there's no other way you, you can avoid that question. It's It's got to because... The whole thing with menopause, I mean, obviously, over the last few years, there's been an awful lot of awareness being raised with it. But when I first started teaching about menopause and seeing women through the menopause, this was, you know, this was years ago. It, was, it just wasn't in a situation we are now. People hadn't got a clue. Health professionals had, had very little understanding at all. Um, right. And it's had very little understanding. So I really was trying to inform them and educate them. So I think what's important as it stands at the moment is if you think it is impacting you, you unfortunately have to be the person that drives you're the one that said, I think there's some problems here. I've done my own homework. I've done my own research. I've got this, 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 this and this. Could it be this? And so by people educating themselves, uh, I know mm. lots of educate their healthcare professionals when it comes to menopause um and it, that's not the way it should be but unfortunately that's that's just life but i think with something as so specialist and so personal as the neurodiversity versus the menopause and how it impacts you then i think it's important that you do your homework and you speak to health professionals yourself if you can if you can if you got do you, do you recommend then the the ladies maybe keep i mean my wife keeps a diary every month of her of her cycle i'm sure she won't yeah, yeah but that's for her to to notice the fluctuations and 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 sort of to keep keep track of because she's on hrt what's the issues doing what's the progesterone doing you know where are things do you think that's a useful thing to be able to then take to a doctor in the early stages and say look this is everything this is like a my own diary of symptoms and I, th I think it could be this yeah I, I think in a way that's a very good idea but to simplify that a little bit what I probably would say is to talk to the people that you live or live with and the people that are closest to you and get their understanding about what's going on because I see so many women think that they're dealing with things very very well and I said I think you need to speak to your husband or your partner or your children and you get a very different version of events. Oh. And it's about being truthful without being hurtful. Um, mm. Here is, is very important. So it's about writing down your main symptoms. So by talking to people that are close to you, you can list maybe, say, the eight symptoms uh, that are impacting upon you, whether it's sleep, whether it's anxiety, um, the fact that your mood has crashed. Is it that you're really angry? Um, is it that you're very irritable? Is it the fact that you've got muscular aches and pains that you just can't form a sentence together? So write down list of symptoms and then plot those symptoms through your menstrual cycle. Um, so most people that have a neurodiversity, it will just be exacerbated, get worse just before your period, but you will always have these issues there as hormones. Mm -hmm just before your period starts it's called the luteal phase of your cycle the last 10 days um you may find that your symptoms will worsen at that point but you will always have coping issues and obviously the issues are there because it's being caused by your neurodiversity rather than anything else but your hormonal 
options will make it a million times worse. So as a, 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 as a clinician then in your professional practice, how do you approach the treatment of, of these menopausal symptoms differently? If you, if you recognise that there's potentially neurodivergence there, does it change the way you approach it? No, not really, because I, I provide people with the same advice and treatment no matter what. But I think if I know that somebody's definitely got a diagnosis of neurodiversity, so somebody tell, books an appointment, they tell me they're autistic or they've got ADHD. From my point of view, that makes things a lot easier because I understand where I need to give them additional support or I will ask, how can I help you the most? What can I do to make this consultation as comfortable and relaxed so that you get the most out of it. And I always give people extra time. So somebody yeah. does your autism, I say, you know, we will give you extra time. You just need to tell me. Um, so those women that have a, a diagnosis actually find it's a lot easier because I understand uh, where they're coming from and the additional support they need. So explanation, extra time. Yeah. Might be that there's some of the sensory issues that maybe they need to keep the lights down in the room. Um, mm that they need a quieter space, that they can't look at the camera because I do lots of online consultations. So they don't have to physically stare at me. The last thing I want to do is feel uncomfortable. Mm. And I actually just stare down at the floor um, or stare into another corner. And that's what makes them comfortable. I'd have no problem with that whatsoever. So it's whatever for you. Um, because at the end of the day, it's about reducing your anxieties and making you feel better. Um, so that I can help you prescribe you the right medication and and, gotcha. and and explain the symptoms of what they mean to you. That makes perfect sense. And, and, and that approach to, you know, everyone's an individual. It's, it's that important thing, isn't it? But meeting their individual needs within a consultation is, is so important. Um, so sort of following on in your experience, do you think there are any common misconceptions about menopause or, or do you think neurodivergent women particularly have con misconceptions about it or or not do you, do, you, do you think their understanding of what menopause or perimenopause is is the same but maybe it's the recognition of how it may affect them that yeah. they don't have yet i i think that's more that the, the issue is the fact that neurodivergent women won't understand the impact menopause has um, until everything starts to fall apart. So from my point of view, it's reaching out to women before they hit perimenopause or in the very, very, very early stages of it to go, this is what you need to be aware of. If you start to feel the wheels falling off, if you start to feel that you can't cope like you used to and there's no other explanation, what's going on? Is it the fact that it hormones and to not leave it but to get that specialist help sooner rather than later because what you don't want is to be picking somebody up off the floor you want to support people when they're just having a little bit of a wobble rather than when they've crumbled in front of you and it, that's going to take a good while from a mental health perspective that's the last thing that we want yeah um, of course my worry is that how many women are out there that are really, really struggling with their menopausal symptoms, not knowing that they have an undiagnosed neurodivergency, such as particularly ADHD, um, yeah. and, and they just don't.
Yeah, and that that's a really interesting point as well. It's that not knowing, isn't it? You know, um, like I say, my my wife hadn't really considered or hadn't considered ADHD when we were considering menopause. It came later um, when that penny dropped for us. And and you're right, it did change things and it does change things. And um, it, it's important to, to point people in the right direction. I'm interesting. There's a phrase you use when we spoke about joining the dots between these various conditions, right, and, and menopause and ADHD. Have you got any examples of how that sort of presented in practice that made you kind of with someone say, ah, wait a minute, are you sure this is what you think it is? Yeah, I mean, I, I see quite a few, and, and now I've got even more awareness of it. It's, you know, I can actually think back about quite a few people I have seen, I'm thinking, oh, when I see them again, I know I'm going to support them slightly differently because I've I've got more awareness now. Um, and even thinking about it, I can think that I'm I'm pretty certain that I will be discussing elements of it with them because I think it's important. But in clinical practice, I've seen people that don't have diagnosis of anything. I'm not an ADHD or a neurodivergent expert at all. I specialise in menopause. But through my own experience, but through my own clinical practice and, and seeing it for myself and identifying how menopause affects neurodiversity and hormones and mental health, I've started to put the links together. So there's a, there's a, there were a few ladies I've seen over the last 12 months in particular um, that I, I can reflect on. So one lady was perimenopausal. Um, and I saw her about a year ago. Um, she had some mental health problems, but nothing more than I would be expecting. I suppose the difference was that she had some significant menopausal symptoms. So I always assess people. I do like um, uh, an assessment of their symptoms and I categorise them. So some women have very significant menopausal symptoms and I'm looking at it thinking oh these are really really life-changing symptoms they've got oh you know we need to see what's going on here other people have very mild symptoms that doesn't particularly bother them but some women have got significant ones this lady had very significant symptoms extreme tiredness mood swings um, muscular aches and pains brain fog headaches um, just not and just really not coping at all um, mm. And when I started to talk to her about it, she'd been on antidepressants for a long time and they dropped her antidepressants. Um, I then started to question her previous experiences because I'm thinking she's obviously got some hormonal fluctuation issues here because she was very sensitive at certain times of her cycle. It got worse at certain times of her cycle. So I thought she's obviously got some sensitivity to some of her hormones. So I said, any um, premenstrual tension when you were a teenager well a little bit but it, she told me that she had postnatal depression so postnatal mm. indicated to me that she's got she's more sensitive to hormonal changes um and so i gave her some hrt and i said to her have you looked into premenstrual dysphoric disorder um which is like an extreme form of p of premenstrual syndrome um, so that normally affects people towards the latter part of their cycle. So the last 10 to 14 days of their menstrual cycle before the period start, um, started. Right. 
Um, and she said, oh, well, yes, I'll look into it. I'll look into it. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. So I just got it in her notes. Uh, I reviewed her three months later um, after prescribing her some hormone replacement therapy. And she was coping really well. Um, and her husband was with her for the consultation. He said, you know, he said, I've got a different wife now. He said, I can't believe the difference in my wife is unbelievable. He said, I just can't believe how different she is. And she said, I feel amazing. Review again three to six months later. Um, and this was a consultation I had um, with in the last couple of months. Um, and it was a different person in the in a different way. She was um, not coping. Um, menopausal symptoms were really significant. Her bloods, her estrogen levels had, had steadily been increasing. They weren't horrendous. They weren't too high. They weren't that low. They were just good. And I thought, well, all the blood work seems to be looking really good. So why are you really struggling with your mental health in particular? She was very angry, very moody. Her husband said, I don't know what to do anymore. And he ended up walking out. Um, and we just had a really good chat because I said, I thought at least then I can I could talk to her on a one-to-one. -one. So what's mm. going on? I, said, I just feel that the wheels, the wheels have fallen off everything. So with these, sometimes with situations like this, if if suddenly there's an, um, things have been working and they haven't, there's generally cause to it. And the cause generally is is a is a, a life event. So you know, um, are you on the threat of losing your job? Are you having issues mm. with children? Has something just spiked that um, that increase in cortisol, your stress hormone levels, and that's generally the driving force behind it. It rarely affects their levels of estrogen in the blood, but it induces symptoms. And um, oh. she, mom had um, gone into hospital and she'd been trying to sort out things with her dad and things like this. So I thought, well, that's probably what it is. So I didn't pursue the PMDD section of things, but I thought something's not right here. The issues have been going on for some time. And then she started to divulge more about what well, actually I've been masking for ages. And these were her words. I've been masking all of my life, Diane. And she just burst into tears. And she said, people don't know. They don't know the struggle that I've been having. Everyone thinks I'm the life and soul of the party, but they've no idea what's going on inside my head. And I thought, whoa, OK. Um, and so I then started to think, well, possibly this is maybe neurodiversity here, neurodivergence. So I just asked one question and I said, do any of your children um, or siblings have um, autism, ADHD, or neuro a diagnosed neurodiversity? And she, she smiled. Well, yeah, she said, my, my son's autistic. She says, my daughter, she said, we're waiting to get a, 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 a diagnosis. She's had some assessments done. Um, and I went, all right, OK. And I, I started to obviously started to grin a little bit at this point. I thought, oh, um, and she said, why do you say that? And I said, um, do you see any, any similarities between you and your children? And she laughed and she said, actually, she said, I am so much like my daughter. It's unreal. She said, it's like our little club. Um, and my husband just doesn't he doesn't understand us. Um, it's our little club because that she said we understand each other. And I said, and it, I said, look, I said, I'm not here to say anything other than I would be suggesting that you need to look into this a little bit more. 
there's a chance that you could have some form of a neurodivergence because there's such a, such a high incidence if your children have been diagnosed that you could as well. I said, I'm not here to make any diagnosis at all, but give you advice and links to get a, get a, get a proper formal diagnosis if that is what you want to do. And she was crying and she said, I explained a little bit more about neurodiversity. I went through how it works in the brain, the hormones. And she just said, that, she says, that is me. That's what you've just said. That is me. That could be written for me. And it was for me, it was like, whoa, okay. Um, and she said, I am going to go and get an assessment done. And she contacted me just a few weeks ago um, to say that she'd been to see her GP and the GP, they'd actually looked at some ADHD information online, her and her husband, and they'd gone through it all. And she said, I recognised myself in all of it. She said it was really quite, she said, I had no idea how significant my symptoms were until I actually looked on an, a, an official website and realised that I was very, very symptomatic. I had everything that was on there. Um, and for, for my husband to see that as well was quite an eye opener for him. And um, I've then my GPs then referred me for to get an official diagnosis on the NHS. Um, what was it then? I mean, you obviously spotted that, which is which is fantastic. But what what do you think was the reason that it took that time from coming to you initially, starting treatment, seeming to make that massive improvement, and then that that going downhill again? It sounds to me like something we've discussed on this podcast before about when people start any medication, that there's almost a, a honeymoon period because there's something new in our body. Our body's getting used to it. And, and if it makes a positive change, it feels life changing until we then sort of level out and get used to that. But then other, I don't want to call them issues, but other things suddenly start to present differently. Do you, does that yeah, sound no, about that, right? That, that That's what yeah. happens. That's exactly what it is. If you if you think the way I do my consultations, and again, I'm, I'm just saying, when I say a normal consultation, it means my run-of-the-mill, CP, prescribed yeah. for them, no issues, no problems, we've got them sorted, their blood levels are high, their, their symptoms are reduced to very low, they're coping with life very, very well, perfect. Then there are other people that I see that it's not quite as clear-cut as that. A whole mix of different things but some people that have very significant mental health symptoms to start with yeah. these are the ones i'm thinking mm, okay um and then i talk to them about their their symptoms and how it's impacting their quality of life so then i'm looking at their blood so i'm already thinking they've got you know that they've got a lot of mental health issues here um very very symptomatic their bloods are telling me their estrogen levels now i've prescribed for them their estrogen, their, their brains are, are, are filled with lovely estrogen. So that's helping it, it boost their dopamine and serotonin levels. Brilliant. Great. That's where they're coping. So what is it that suddenly they don't feel that they're coping? And so for this one particular lady, it was the incident of her mom going into hospital. Right. It was that spike then of um, cortisol that just completely altered her brain chemistry um, and probably depleted. I mean, I'm, like, I'm not an expert with all of this, but mm. I would imagine it just knocked her dopamine levels down. 
Um, and that's why suddenly she felt she was starting to crash again. Um, yeah. And so having that realisation, and for her, um, we were explaining that this is this sounds like this is what it could be. She could completely relate to it far more than I could because she was like, that is me, that is me. Yeah. That is feel. And for her, that was the most important thing for me because I'm directed by her and I'm saying, you know, if you want to get a, a formal diagnosis, that is your choice. You don't have to. But if... No, that makes perfect sense. Um, now, there's... There is a phrase we talk about a lot with ADHD and, and, and neurodivergence about shared care with GPs, right? So we talk about private diagnosis of ADHD being referred back to a GP for a shared care agreement. So that's not just for prescription of medication, but it's for everything else as well. Now, um, would that be something that, let's say, you know, if, if you work with Sarah from Divergence, for example, so if let's take that woman as an example, you say, I, you know, if you think that's a good idea, go seek a diagnosis. She goes and sees, for example, Sarah gets diagnosed, starts ADHD medication. Would it be your best case or your expectation that there, there is then a, a communication between you and Sarah so do you know exactly what she's being titrated on, exactly what medication, what the expectations are, so that you can then adjust or know what you're doing? And, and which way round do you think is most effective? Is it HRT first, then um, ADHD meds, or, or the other way round? Well, if somebody's on ADHD meds and have a diagnosis, then it's, it's more straightforward for me. When I've spoken, when I've when I've supported women with with ADHD before, and I've spoken to health professionals who specialise in ADHD, all they need to know from me is the fact that am I prescribing HRT for them? Then they will adjust the medications depending on their level of symptoms. Right. So it's easier for me to start that process by getting somebody on HRT because if nothing else, the root cause of how they're feeling. ADHD medication is certainly going to make a significant improvement. But if mm. they're lacking in if they're lacking in dopamine, for example, or certainly they're lacking in estrogen, then it's a case of replacing that estrogen. And then you're seeing somebody through it from a slightly different perspective because suddenly their estrogen or their low levels of estrogen have been replaced. Suddenly they got their brains working again, they've got more energy, more motivation more enthusiasm, more organisation skills, because they needed estrogen. So it's better from my perspective to address that first. Um, but definitely working with, with healthcare professionals, that's something I'd, I'd like to do. I've, I have found a difficulty with that with shared care as a whole um, is, is quite challenging. Um, and But that will be something I would I would speak to ADHD health professionals about and and see how we could get get that to work together. I wouldn't have any problem at all at all. Um, it's just it all set up. Well, and it makes perfect sense, doesn't it, that there's those open channels because it benefits you know all the healthcare professionals and the the people in the middle of it who are who are seeking help. So yeah, um, so I'm just thinking about this. Have you got any advice then for neurodivergent women, ADHD, autistic women who are 
either approaching or who are experiencing sort of perimenopause and menopause who feel they're not being either understood or not being properly treated? Is there? Th- a- yeah, well, I just think really it's a case of you doing your own homework and thinking, am I getting the support I need from my healthcare professionals? Seeking advice from healthcare professionals is challenging for everybody. And this is where mm-hmm. I really think that, that the service is letting itself down, supporting people with neurodiversities, because, you know, trying to get through on the phone, trying to get a face-to-face appointment, whatever suits your needs is difficult for everybody, but let alone somebody that maybe struggles with social interactions and has like is um, to light and to noise and chaos and, and, and things like this. So there's a lot that we can do, but I will be suggesting that you would be doing your own homework to be as articulate as you could possibly be, to write down um, a list of questions, to write down your symptoms and write down the kind of support that you need from them. So you've got everything in, in, in written down in front of you. Maybe take a friend with you so that you can speak to healthcare professionals to get the point across and maybe find out there's somebody, there's a, there's a health professional there at your surgery that you have a better rapport with or you feel more comfortable mm. with. There might not, menopause might not be their specialist subject, but you feel that you feel listened to and, and, and supported. And at the end of the day, that's, that's probably the most important thing, that people are taking on board what you're saying and understanding you. Yeah, absolutely. And... and... That's all people want, isn't it? That that feeling heard and, and yeah. feeling well treated. Um, so you you've joined dots and you continue to join dots. Now, when we when we sort of spoke uh, before the podcast, you mentioned that you you're already involved with research um, and you've been sort of working with various people. Have you got anything you can share about some of the research that you've been looking in or assisting with or or sort of reading yourself into this and probably for about four years I've been reading about autism and ADHD during the menopause and there's one particular article I read uh, by Dr Rachel Mosley she's at Bournemouth University I was reading it about midnight one night in bed um, as you do and I was reading an amazing article that she'd written about autism and the menopause I thought fantastic and the conclusion was that there is no research on it. And I was just like, what? And I actually emailed her at midnight to go, I'd love to involve with this. I'd love to know more about this. Um, and I have been in touch with her quite a few times. There are quite a few other people, researchers, that are doing some work into um, neurodiversity and the menopause as well. Um, and, you know, it, but it's one of those things that I've done my own research. I've done my own studies. I'm trying to I'm trying to work out in my head what happens um, with women during the menopause. You know, how do the hormonal fluctuations impact neurodiverse women more than than somebody that doesn't have a neurodiversity? And it's more to do with these the fluctuation of the hormones and how we individually deal with them. Um, it's like, you know, a, a girls at school, um, you know, when their periods are about to be due and they're in that, in that particular stage just before their periods, um, they become a lot more sensitive to, um, to light and sensitivity and noise and chaos. Mm-hmm. But that's because their hormones are fluctuating. And this happens during the menopause as well. 
So it's about the fluctuations of them. And it's so sensitive to the fluctuations where other people, it wouldn't even wouldn't even bother them. They might feel a little bit low at certain times of the month, but hey-ho, you brush it off and you're fine. But it, it's not like that for everybody. So for health professionals, it's about understanding that it impacts women very, very differently and that the, the, the slight fluctuations of hormones can have such an impact on physical but certainly mental health and well-being and coping, coping with work and life. I, I almost want to go back to a question I think I asked you earlier, but it's, it, I'm joining my own dots here. Do you think there are particular traits, and particularly now I'm thinking of ADHD, that healthcare professionals perhaps don't understand, A, how commonly they present, and B, how they impact those reactions at these different times of, of the cycle and during menopause. And I'm thinking again of those things like emotional dysregulation or or um, rejection sensitive dysphoria. But I think the other one is, does it impact when we're that discombobulated on things like our executive function as well? Yeah, it, it, I mean, at the end of the day, when hormones, when hormones are fluctuating, it affects all of these symptoms. There are over 40 symptoms of the menopause. Um, brain fog, confidence, anxiety are all impacted for anybody during the menopause. But if you've got more significant fluctuations or you're just far more sensitive to the fluctuations, it's like women with migraines, very, very sensitive do hormonal fluctuations. And these are another group of women that need a lot of support with their menopausal symptoms because the, the effects can be horrendous. So mm -hmm. it's about, you know, having that understanding that this is how it will impact you. Um, and just seeing what we can do, you know, tweaking HRT, giving that additional support um, and raising awareness of the fact that if there's a possibility you do have a neurodivergence that, you know, having these key issues that think about how the symptoms will impact you during that particular time of your menstrual cycle and are there patterns to it will just make you realize that maybe you do need to get extra support and and thinking what else can i do about it well that makes perfect sense though doesn't it um okay so let's look a bit forwards then what changes do you hope to see in how medical community and, and other healthcare professionals are addressing the needs of neurodivergent oh, individuals yeah. during the menopause? Well, first of all, it's for healthcare settings to be neurodiverse friendly is, 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 is the key to this. Um, you know, they do have, they do try with like quieter areas, but it's just, you know, it's mm. a very and it doesn't particularly help as much as they're hoping it will so it's about having a, a real awareness of it you know I'm aware now that people with um, women that are that have got autism or certainly children that have got autism and how they the noise sensation and lights and um, all the different things around them can significantly impact their mental health and well-being so if we take that mm. into Children, for example, coping in school, in hospital setting. You can imagine going to the emergency department. It's chaos there. Yeah. You know, it, and, it's, and, and the fact is that it's a disorganised chaos. So, you know, if women are displaying symptoms through the menopause of 
um, you know, they are overwhelmed, more overwhelmed than normal, more disorganized. You know, normally, you know, some women with with ADHD are sort of like high achievers in meaning the fact that they are they overcompensate mm. by being super super organized, and then with the menopause, everything falls apart. So then they'll be completely and utterly overwhelmed. Um, and it's the case that people think, well, you know, why why aren't you coping with it? So um, it's really how we can join the dots together to think of how we can support people during the menopause in all settings in healthcare. But the key to this is about teaching and education, because when I've spoken to people within organisations about menopause, I don't sorry, neurodiversity. I don't talk a lot about it, but I certainly talk a bit about it. Um, and I've had some amazing feedback from people um, and I've only just started to talk about it within the hospital settings and to healthcare professionals but there's oh. sort of great loss of awareness about it really um, and they don't they don't really understand what I'm talking about and the relevance of it so that shows that we just need to keep talking about it and when I spoke recently to some 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 healthcare professionals on menopause and neurodiversity, it was very much that they were sort of mouths open. They had no idea the impact that it could be having on the number of patients that they're seeing on a daily basis. I mean, it's astonishing, though, that you, you've met with mouths open still, you know, and surprise yeah. and, and, and a lack of awareness. But you're right, conversations like this and... and, and professionals like yourself and, and ADHD professionals joining up, sharing the conversation, kind of highlighting that these these things are linked. They they have to be linked. Uh, there is one thing that you just mentioned that that hadn't occurred to me here. You mentioned about overwhelm. Yeah. And I'm now thinking about my wife again. Is it conceivable again that we could see people displaying signs of burnout but it could be caused by any number of things it could be because of the stress of menopause and coping with those severity of symptoms as well as dealing with it as a neurodivergent individual and again it's it's that how does somebody go about dissecting that for themselves or explaining it in your opinion i think it's the case that if there's enough thoughts there that it could be that they could have an undiagnosed neurodivergency, that they go down the right routes and look at the right websites and speak to the right people to then get proper diagnosis. Because right. what they don't want is people that are, if they do want to find out a bit more about it, that they're, they're afraid to or they're uncertain about it, or they don't know how to go about it, that they can go about it. And, 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 and everything that I've ever possibly read back this up is that people that have a diagnosis say, say it's the best thing they ever did because that suddenly everything makes sense mm, and we I have answers over and over again um and it's a case that often wondering all of your life that you've never particularly fitted in nothing's never felt quite right you've always felt a bit out out of place with society or people or situations that suddenly wow this is what it is, and I've never known anything about it. This is what ladies are telling me that have got the diagnosis. Yeah. Um, now, all, all people that had a diagnosis, you know, a few years ago that have come to see me. Um, and so really it's about how we can support those people 
um, and just keep raising the awareness. That's for me. It's about making sure that we understand the complexities that people face that do have neurodiversity. It's not everybody, but it's about yeah. most people will, and we have to accommodate our um, lifestyles, our societies. Mm. Um, the way we do things it shouldn't be for neurotypical people we should be accommodating it for, for for people with neurodiversity because it will create such a wonderful environment for us all to live and work in yeah and yeah i agree that's what we need to get the message across because it's going to be a more relaxed calmer um environment for us all and with stress and anxiety affecting everybody very very significantly these days surely mm. that go no, yeah, it makes sense. Um, just a very quick question about some of the older uh, population. There's, there's something I see reported a lot that ladies make it sort of all the way through perimenopause and, and have their menopause. And then somewhere between six and 18 months afterwards, are still thinking, hold on, this still feels like menopause. I still feel like I'm struggling. And it's then that they start joining their dots of, is it ADHD, autism? Have you experienced that particularly? Um, and, and again, do you think that goes back to that they've developed their ability to mask, perhaps, or to, to, to cover up those symptoms so well? And it's yeah, absolutely, and it's, it's often like life events that will happen, that, that, that sudden rush of like the death of a, a, a partner or yeah. a family that literally that's what's the catalyst here. And, you know, they've been coping and coping and coping or putting such a brave face on, the old camouflaging, mm. um, fool everybody, including themselves, that they're coping well. But they don't understand why. And so when like these significant life events happen, redundancy is another mm. one. Yeah, death of a, a family member, um, that, that's enough just to cause absolute you know, everything, literally everything will fall apart for anybody, but let alone somebody that has a neurodiversity that, that, but undiagnosed, they don't understand why they're not coping as well. And you can imagine then how overwhelmed and low in mood you would be, because why aren't I coping as I normally do? Why, why can't I do this? Why can't I pull myself together kind of attitude? Yeah. Um, yeah. That you're, you're trying, I always say, you know, you're trying to, to trying to walk up a mountain with a lorry strapped to your back, you know, it's just, you know, we yeah. need we need to break you free of that and go, let's get this sorted out um, and just make you feel better, either with predominantly with HRT, but looking at how you can change things with your lifestyle as well to increase your own um, neurotransmitters to make you feel better and working with ADHD, autism, health professionals so that people are getting the right diagnosis and the right support from the right organisations. Sounds like a plan. OK, I'm going to ask you one question, because obviously, you know, we, we're talking about HRT a lot. And, and, and that is, you know, the the best thing, I think, in terms of treatment, isn't it, for most women? But in for ladies in those early stages or maybe who who haven't accessed it yet, are there should we say more holistic things that you recommend are there basics because often we talk in adhd about get your sleep right get your diet right get exercise as it means to you right and these all help with mood regulation dopamine is it a similar kind of a an approach absolutely um for people that i don't prescribe to that can't take hrt or choose not to i always say well it's 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 not quite as straightforward as 
you have HRT and you don't need to do anything else in your life. It's a case that healthy lifestyle, positive mental attitudes, exercise, nutrition is key. And all of that will help with your um, mood, will help with your menopausal symptoms. For example, right. alcohol, more likely to get hot flushes and night sweats. So it's by about adjusting your lifestyle, uh, losing weight, keeping your body mass index at a lower rate will reduce your risks of developing cancer and heart disease and, and everything else. So there's lots of things that you can do. But nutritional point for people that don't want to take HRT, particularly in the early stages, although I do have to say, if you know, the sooner you start it, the, the better it's going to be for you is the key. Mm -hmm. You to eat foods that are rich in phyto uh, phytoestrogen, so your soya-based products, your lentils, your fiber, your flax seeds. Um, right. Your they will help a bit, but nothing will work to the same extent as HRT. Makes sense. Right, Diane, I, uh, everything you've said has just been so, so insightful. And I've been I've been listening to your answers. And I know there's a lot that we've been asked on the group. This, this will be so useful for. Is there anything you would like to say by way of sort of a closing statement for you, whether it's advice for ladies or whether it's advice for clinicians or both? you know, before we close, what would you like to to leave people thinking? I think, first of all, the most important thing is if you think you're going through the menopause is to seek advice from reputable um, professional menopause services. It doesn't have to be private, like what I provide, just mm. reputable, recognised menopause that are either nurses or doctors that are trained in menopause. And be very cautious of certain things that you will read online and people that are not medically qualified. Um, and then the other side of this is the fact that um, speak to people um, that have um, neurodiversity such as yourself or you suspect and mm. see with their symptoms because um, like um, having friendship bonds on um, and talking to people makes a huge difference so it's about getting diagnosis by the right people and getting the support from the right people and don't be afraid of HRT um, it's safe and effective for virtually everybody and you can take it long term as well and it makes a massive difference massive difference yeah, no, I, I, I can't disagree with that because I've seen it. Diane, listen, thank you so much for your time. As ever, if you look in the show notes uh, for this episode, you'll see links to Diane's services um, and we'll try and link to some of the, maybe the symptoms that you mentioned, the 40 symptoms of menopause, so people can look at that in tandem with ADHD and autism as well. Uh, but for now, that has been an incredible uh, conversation and I really hope it's helped although I get a funny feeling it won't be the last because this is a conversation that's going to change uh, and uh, you know new information will come out but Diane thank you so so much for your time and and folks we will see you next Thursday for another episode of Talk ADHD but uh, for now thank you very much and goodbye <laughs>